Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. Yesterday, I mentioned how the network Showtime's quote-unquote expert political scientists, who I'd never heard of, were saying Ronald Reagan used code words for racism, words like states' rights, welfare, tax cuts. If you didn't know, talking of these things means you are dog-whistling racist dogma and appealing to white power and white fear according to the Showtime Network experts, their series on Ronald Reagan. They have someone they call a Nancy Reagan biographer. That's what she's labeled as on the series. It's Kitty Kelly. She's a gossip writer who's been denounced by everyone she wrote unauthorized biographies about, from Oprah Winfrey to Frank Sinatra to the Reagans. As I said yesterday, what this series is trying to do is not only take traditional conservative platforms like welfare reform, states' rights, and less government tax reform off the table of respectable discussion by labeling these issues code words for racism. They're also trying to rewrite history, taking the fairly acclaimed success of the Reagan administration to lows and failures. We know rewriting history is a big part of the left. Who knew it would be such recent history? But let's go back to these things a moment, shall we? Reagan, like Goldwater, was painted by the media and the left as a racist. The problem is the paint. There was really no evidence. Evidence was always to the contrary. Do I need to remind? Barry Goldwater helped found the NAACP in Arizona and led the effort to desegregate Phoenix Sky Harbor in the 1950s before it was, so to speak, popular. Never mind, he wanted to attack socialism, so he was a racist. Reagan, also wanting to attack socialism and big government, was a racist for doing that, too. But with what evidence that he was using those shibboleths and talismans as code? That's the funny thing about conspiracy theorists. You don't need proof of any sort. Just denying the theory or allegation lumps you into the conspiracy. So the first person to run out and broadcast the allegation or theory is the owner of the narrative that then requires others who doubt it to attempt to prove negatives. Hell of a way to do history or contemporary politics or political science or science of any kind. The other funny thing, the actual story is so much better than the conspiracy theory. That is, if you're not looking for a partisan angle, take the story of Reagan and Melba King would have been easy for Showtime to tell it. They didn't, because it's a great story and ruins their narrative. Here's the story from the Iowa News as they rendered it in 2004 when Ronald Reagan died. Quote, Former President Ronald Reagan is known as the great communi- communicator, but one Iowa woman will always know him as her hero. Melba King was a 22-year-old nursing student in Des Moines in 1933, She was walking home one autumn night when a mugger came up behind her with a gun and demanded her money. At that moment, Ronald Reagan, who was a Des Moines radio sportscaster at the time, came to her rescue. Reagan pointed a forty-five caliber revolver at the robber from the window of a second-floor rented room, and he shouted, Leave her alone or I'll shoot you right between the shoulders. That's what King told KCCI. Reagan scared the man off and calmed King's nerves. Then, the future president said he would walk King home. King didn't see Ronald Reagan again until 1984, when Iowa Governor Terry Branstad heard the story and invited her to an Iowa caucus campaign event. 
After King and Reagan hugged on stage, Reagan laughed and said to the crowd, this is the first time I've had a chance to tell you the gun was empty. I didn't have any cartridges. If he hadn't run when I told him to, I was going to have to throw it at him. King's rescue became a national news story. The phone rang constantly, King said. All the media attention caused Reagan and King to stay in touch. The two families exchanged cards on birthdays, holidays, and during times of sickness and grief. The Reagans helped King when she lost her husband, Harold, in 1987. And now she will send Nancy Reagan a sympathy note. By the way, Melba King was an African-American woman. Heck of a racist, that Ronald Reagan. Now let's talk about states' rights for a moment. The way Reagan and Goldwater talked about states' rights had nothing to do with racism. It had to do with limiting the powers of the federal government and empowering the functions of public service closer to the people at the state level. It comes to us in express form from the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Who wrote it? Its author was Roger Sherman, a lawmaker and anti-slavery advocate from Connecticut. Imagine that. The author of the provision for states' rights in our U.S. Constitution was an anti-slavery advocate and activist. Hence, in our phantom tollbooth world, states' rights are code for racism. What's that reference, you ask? The phantom tollbooth? It's an old children's book where in one city people eat when they are full and stop when they are hungry. The more they eat, the hungrier they get, to the point where after 20 bowls of dining on subtraction stew, they're practically starving. Does this sound like your modern-day journalists or political scientists at all? I think so. I'll tell you why I was put in mind of this analog, because when Barry Goldwater used to talk about states' rights in the 1960s, he often talked about the party of the stomach, the Democrats, and the party of the soul. Republicans. In 1960, he spoke to the GOP convention saying, our philosophy is that man has a soul as well as a stomach. This was a large theme in his book of the same year, Conscience of a Conservative, where he wrote, quote, man's most sacred possession is his individual soul, which has an immortal side, but also a mortal one. The mortal side establishes his absolute differentness from every other human being, only a philosophy that takes into account the essential differences between men and accordingly makes provisions for developing the different potentialities of each man can claim to be in accord with nature. The conservative has learned that the economic and spiritual aspects of man's nature are inextricably intertwined. He cannot be economically free or even economically efficient if he is enslaved politically. Conversely, man's political freedom is illusory if he is dependent for his economic needs on the state. And that power will always increase, as Goldwater would go on to outline it. The federal government has moved into every field in which it believes its services are needed. The state governments are either excluded from their rightful functions by federal preemption or they are allowed to act at the sufferance of the federal government. Inside the federal government, both the executive and judicial branches have roamed far outside their constitutional boundary lines. And all of these things have come to pass without regard to the amendment procedures prescribed by Article 5. The result is a leviathan, a vast national authority out of touch with the people and out of their control. The monolith of power is bounded only by the will of those who sit in its high places. 
Now you can see why Dennis Prager says the larger the government, the smaller the individual. The vaster and stronger the government, as Goldwater puts it, the more out of touch with the people it becomes, especially as it takes power from the people and dictates regulations to them. Remember, the Tenth Amendment speaks to the people as well as the state. The individual soon shrinks as the government expands. For those willing just a little bit to try to understand conservatives, never mind the Constitution, they learn quite quickly the appeal to states' rights is an appeal to individual rights and freedom. Ironically enough, not racism and group rights or groupthink, individual freedom and individual rights. Barry Goldwater went into this explicitly in his book with an entire chapter dedicated to the issue of civil rights and states' rights, writing, quote, an attempt in recent years to disparage the principle of states' rights by equating it with defense of the South's position on racial integration. I've already indicated that the reach of states' rights is much broader than that, that it affects Northerners as well as Southerners and concerns many matters that have nothing to do with the race question. Still, it is quite true that the integration issue is affected by states' rights principle and that most of the South position on the issue is today the most conspicuous expression of the principle. So much so that the country is now in the grips of a spirited and sometimes ugly controversy over an imagined conflict between states' rights on the one hand and what are called civil rights on the other. I say an imagined conflict because I deny that there can be a conflict between states' rights properly defined and civil rights properly defined. If states' rights are so asserted as to encroach upon individual rights that are protected by valid federal laws, then the exercise of state power is a nullity. Conversely, if individual rights are so asserted as to infringe upon valid state power, then the assertion of those rights is a nullity. The rights themselves do not clash. The conflict arises from a failure to define the two categories of rights correctly and to assert them lawfully. Close quote. So the left just moves on to tell us any attack on the federal leviathan or effort to rein in it rein it in as ipso facto racist or dog whistling to racism. Well do me this favor. Go online and look up a firing line episode from nineteen sixty eight where William Buckley was interviewing George C. Wallace. Governor of Alabama, known for his segregationist policies and claims to states' rights. Buckley, the conservative and Republican, destroys Wallace, the segregationist and Democrat. For you see, as it turns out, we conservatives do understand the stages of freedom that begin with nature and flow up from the individual to the state to the federal government. And when you understand that, and the natural rights and individual rights, our original understanding of our founding was meant to protect the entire notion of any of us, any of this being code for racism or white fear simply disappears. Again, if you look and if you read us, why am I dedicating so much time of this monologue to this point? Because as I've been saying, we need to re-irrigate forests right now, forests that the left has managed to burn down. And treat, per C.S. Lewis, each of our fellow citizens as pupils. If we don't, Showtime and others will. I'm Seth Liebson. Is that Bob Seeger? Nice guess on my part. Yeah, I haven't heard that in a while. Beautiful version. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 
I'm searching for the right words. You know, some of these elected officials, you'd think they'd just be brighter than they are to say some of the things they say. Eric Garcetti is the mayor of Los Angeles, and um, he's now issued and doubled down on a remain-in-home order, they call it. And the language he used publicly just blows me away. Who says things like this? It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. Who says that? It's time to cancel everything. It's December 3rd. Cancel everything. We're just going to destroy every industry, destroy every livelihood, destroy Do you have the actual audio of it? Let's hear the actual audio of it. My message couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. And following our targeted safer at home order. That's enough of that. Don't attend. Start it again. Do it again. Don't take it from the top. Couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. That's what I wanted. Don't, don't host a that's gathering. Fine. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't meet up with anyone. Isolate. They do read the stats, right? At the home is the worst place to be. Isolation. Forty percent of U.S. adults reported to be struggling with mental health or substance abuse. Ten percent, eleven, sorry, ten point seven percent had thoughts of suicide this year compared to four point three last. Reported symptoms of anxiety three times higher than they were in 2019. Individuals aged 18 to 24, 25.5% consider suicide. In New York alone, Google searches increased for phrases and words, anxiety, panic attack, and insomnia. Between April and October, the portion of emergency visits related to mental health for children increased by 24% and 31% for teenagers compared to last year. 13% of survey respondents said they have started or increased substance use to cope with the pandemic. 13% increase in substance abuse. 3,000 more people died from drug overdoses in just the first quarter of this year than last. Hunger caused by the pandemic's response is responsible for the death of tens of thousands of children worldwide. Approximately 20 million children will suffer from wasting, weakening of the body from emaciation. Number of undernourished individuals may increase from 690 to 822 million people. Rate of food insecurity from last year to this has more than doubled for households with children. 
Between 9 and 14 percent of parents report their children didn't have enough to eat because they could not afford food. 88 to 115 million people will fall into extreme poverty worldwide this year. Total could rise to 150 million by 2021. Where am I getting these stats? From the American Institute for Economic Research, CDC, 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 JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, CDC, CDC, AMA, American Medical Association, CDC, APA, American Pediatric Association, The Lancet, The Lancet, The World Health Organization, Brookings, and The World Bank. Oh, and UNICEF. Pretty respected organizations. I mean, not always by me, but pretty respected organizations by people who have the letter D after their name, like Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles. Don't meet with, don't meet up with people outside. Don't see others. Don't attend a gathering. Cancel everything. Is this anything close to sanity? Is it anything close to sanity? I looked up the death rates from COVID in Los Angeles County. Seven-tenths of a per- excuse me, seven-hundredths of a percent. Seven-hundredths of a percent in a county of some 10 million people. Why, why are we punishing and quarantining the healthy and the young? Why are we not focusing on what we thought we knew? See, that's the thing about following science. You don't just have to follow. You don't just say you have to follow it. You have to follow it. It's like the Seinfeld reservation. You don't just say you have the reservation. It's the holding of the reservation that matters. It's the following of the science that matters. We know who the vulnerable are. We know that if you're over 65, that's where we need to protect you. Quarantine them. Quarantine them. So the rest of not just the city and the state and the country can go on, but the world, the world can go on. People in retirement age can handle it a little bit better than 12-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 38-year-olds. Cancel everything. Wow. I I don't have the words. I just don't. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show 6025080960. Rick, hello Rick, how are you, man? Hey Seth, one of my favorites, Herman and his Hermits. Herman's Hermits, you bet. <laughs> who wrote who wrote that song? Oh, that that I have no idea. It's the it's it's Carol King. Ah, well, I should have guessed that. I yeah, think you you always want to get. That, that's always almost always the right answer. Right, right. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin is almost always the right answer about a quote from the founding. Right, right. <laughs> Good point. Hey, Seth, you got some splaining to do. Uh oh, just catch me doing something naughty. No, 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 no. Uh, two things. Secondly. I like <laughs> That's pretty funny. Two things. Secondly, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, I thought I'd give you the second one first so you can be mulling it over. Okay. <laughs> Do you mull, my friend? Uh, m- more than you know. <laughs> That's what I was afraid you caught me doing out in public. 
Okay. The second thing is, I'd like to get <laughs> so your take on the blockbuster video out of Georgia today. Okay. But the first thing is, and I think you may have actually explained this already, it seems to me that we have a relatively small group of power-hungry megalomaniacs who have found a way and have been very actively cultivating the large population of sheeple that we have produced in this country over the past 20 or 30 or 40 years due to the education system, the entertainment uh, uh, cabal, and the media thugs. And the, the reason that I'm saying all of this is because your uh, uh, take on Garcetti reminded me, as stupid as all of that is, and it is stupid, how, the, how in the world did 78 million or whatever it was people in this country vote for those dingocrats? Well, these are... So that's the first yeah, thing. Okay. Second thing you can hit. Second thing is Georgia. Yeah. You're talking about the video of the of the uh, observers being told to go home and then the others return and resume. Pulled out the, the suitcases. Yeah. 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 What's interesting about that is I heard the testimony of the lawyer who brought it forward. I don't know uh -huh. if you caught the no, I, female I attorney who was doing it. Her name is Jackie Pick. Okay, that's why I wanted to get your take. The reason I mention that is she was a regular, she's, she's an often guest on this show. We had her on like November 5th, Bill, I think. Jackie Daly is her other, she goes by Jackie Daly or Jackie Pick. She goes, um, she, she, she was the one arguing that case today. It was kind of a source of pride. I've known her for many years. Okay. Smart cookie. Maybe okay. we should pull up that interview. But in any event, um, yeah, I mean, between that and um, some of the stuff in Michigan. Yeah. Um, we have two weeks, basically, till the Electoral College meets uh -huh. Uh -huh. to get courts to accept this. And, uh, you know, I say I hope they will because if, 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 if they all pan out. You know, um, I, I, I would trust Jackie. I would I would have her represent me. I, I think she's a really good lawyer. I think she's a uh -huh. really smart person. Uh -huh. um, but good I haven't hear. talked to her about this particular case. Okay. Um, one also hopes, because this is the real threshold, as Andy McCarthy was talking about it with us a day or two ago, was it, the, the threshold is what's at stake there in that example? How many votes are we talking about? And is it enough? Is it enough to overturn the decision there? Is it enough to change the or, or oh, render no. the election either null or or switch switch the certification? Okay, that's that's the question. Is it enough? So the court cases to date across the country that I've seen and talked about with people haven't shown enough of a of a threshold being met to do that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, um, the Georgia one is is pretty astounding, though. It's pretty astounding. That, it seems so to me. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty astounding. It's the, like, the, the people say, "Well, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence?" Well, we're showing it. We're yeah. showing it. 
And as John Hinderocker said, you know, you give me a case, I need about a year and a half. Right, right. We're trying to do this in f- five weeks. Yeah. With two left. But it's coming, and it's revealing itself, it looks like. Let me tackle the first question with you when we get back. It's a okay. really big one. Okay. Stay with me. We'll be right back. That's the opening to a song called Eli's Coming. This is why I love this audience so much. I was telling Rick that if you need to fish for a quick answer as to who wrote X song, almost always the right answer is going to be, or at least to play the odds, Carol King. She did a lot. And then, of course, listener Don, who knows uh, more about music than I ever can, immediately emailed me and said, Laura Nero's not a bad answer. And you look her up, and he is right. That's one she wrote for Three Dog Night and uh, Maynard Ferguson. She did writing for Barbara Streisand in The Fifth Dimension. Uh, she, uh, she, unlike Carol King, is no longer with us. But Laura Nero, that would be also a very good answer. So those are your two. If, 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 you, if you ever in a trivia question, uh, who wrote this ex-popular song from the 60s or 70s? Carol King or Laura Nero are your smartest answers. Thanks to listener Don. Rick, you asked me um, about what to make of the notion that Joe Biden received over 80 million votes. Yeah. And Seth, may I make one quick comment? Sure. I, in the words of one of our greatest presidents, if not our greatest president, Abraham Lincoln, I made those comments with malice toward none and charity toward all. Oh, I know. I I know. I I, I mean, you know, seriously, I I don't mean to impugn anyone. Yeah. It's it's just that they have been the victims of a lot of garbage that's been dumped in. So I just want to make that. Yeah, no, of course, of course, of course. And, you know, this is a complicated question for me because um, I I was giving a little air or a little oxygen to it yesterday, I think. But once we take a look at and address all the issues of irregularities and fraud – is it still likely Joe Biden won more votes than Donald Trump? Is it still possible he won more electoral votes than Donald Trump? Yeah, I think that's a big question. It's a huge question that I worry about. It's it's a worry. There, there are bigger worries, but it's 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 a it's a going forward worry if I can. Yeah, I worry about what if we're wrong? You know, I was wrong. I think I was wrong about this election. When I said Donald Trump's going to win it and by bigger numbers than last time, I, it, it looks like I'm wrong about that. Now, if there's enough manifest fraud, maybe, you know, we'll find out otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I worry about us underestimating our the enmity against us. I worry about us underestimating how much the Republican Party or, for that matter, Donald Trump is disliked. Mm. I worry about mm. that. Yeah. I worry about our underestimating. I worry about us acting like Hertz and not Avis. Yeah, yeah. I worry about that on the one hand. That's one concern. Yeah. 
the second con- and 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 to just back that up a moment. Yes, the rallies looked like nothing we had ever seen before. Yeah. Yes, the economy looked like nothing we had ever seen before. Right. Um, yes, we thought there was a hidden Trump vote, but you know there were other stats. All the polls, yeah. for example, all of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the polls. And we convinced ourselves they had hidden Trump votes in them. Turns out it's possible, is it not? It's possible there were hidden anti-Trump votes in there yeah. or hidden anti-Trump votes pollsters didn't pick up. I, I think we have to think that that's possible. Mm-hmm. I think if we act like Hertz and not Avis, we're going to be in trouble. That's one set of analysis. And the other that I was talking about yesterday was the survey of um, the Media Research Center that found all these voters in swing states, all these Biden voters in seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina. They found in polling Biden voters, exit polling Biden voters, that something like... 35% of Biden voters didn't know about the Tara Reid story. 9% of the 35% said they would have changed their vote had they known. Right. right. Um, The laptop story, 45%, nearly half of Biden voters didn't know the laptop story and Mm -hmm. found that something like 10% of Biden voters would have abandoned him had they known. Yes. On and on, you go down the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Something like a total of 17 percent of Biden voters said they would have changed their vote in the aggregate if they had been aware of one or more of these stories. The Media Research Center asked about them, which would have moved beyond question, beyond doubt, beyond recount every Mm -hmm. one of the swing states into Donald Trump's win column. Yeah. Is that a possibility as to meaningfully? changing the outcome yes it is that's part of what i was yeah what part of what i was right exactly right Mm -hmm. so we sit here i do anyway and i talk about these institutions that you mentioned and there are more than the ones you mentioned right you mentioned uh entertainment you mentioned uh education what was your other one the media media yeah now let's add professional athletics right um now let's add the corporation Oh, yeah. The American Corporation and what they suffuse through their human resource departments and human resource trainings. Right. And why is it that Black Lives Matter, which you and I know is a Marxist organization because the founders told us so, why are they able to attract billions of dollars in donations from the glitterati? Right. Right? So it's... Not just education, though, when you isolate that one institution. It's not just education. I want you to think about the numbers. Think about the numbers. Mm-hmm. How many high school graduates are churned out every year? About 4 million. Mm. How many college graduates are turned out every year? About 4 million. Wow. 8 million products of an 80% or more indoctrination program every year for the past 30 years and yep. you change the country yeah yeah wow now add cnn now add washington post now add new york times and msnbc now add the nfl now add the nba yeah and now add the major corporations mm-hmm. and and 
Yep. And 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 you begin to wonder, oh, well, maybe Biden did get eighty million votes. <laughs> Can you yeah. say that? I mean, I don't know. Am I am I just all wet in saying yeah. that that is a potential here we have to come to no. terms with? No, you say yeah, it's amazing that it wasn't worse. <laughs> well. That's the line I often use. When you consider everything I just said, it's amazing a Republican is ever elected to anything anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Hey, Seth, let me say this real quick, if I may. You may. You have graduated from being an Aristotelian friend to being a pal. Ah. Talking to you Uh is like sitting down with a buddy. Talking to you and listening to your show is like sitting down with a buddy and shooting the breeze and talking about some very serious things and some things maybe not so serious. It's, so thank you that, for that, your show. That's something. Thank you for your contribution to the betterment of the world and especially uh, us conservatives. Bless you. That means more than I can express. Thank you, Rick. Welcome back <laughs> to the Seth Leapson Show. Um, Bill, did you get my reference about Hertz and Avis? I wonder if most of the audience did. You probably put it together. One of them You're... tries harder, but yeah. yeah, you could explain yeah. that. Yeah, Avis used to have an ad campaign. Maybe they still do. I, I, I don't. Do they still have this campaign? Their campaign was always kind of embracing that they were number two to Hertz being number one. And they had these ads in the 70s, Avis, We Try Harder. Avis can't afford not to be nice or not give you a new car like a lively super torque Ford or not know a pastrami on Rye Place in Duluth. Why? When you're not the biggest in rent-a-cars, you have to try harder. Right? We do. We're only number two. So anyway, that's what that reference was about. Um, We may be number two. We may be number two. And we – What's clear is we're not dominating the culture. That's clear, and we're not dominating the cultural institutions. I don't know that we're dominating politics. Now, people will say, well, you look at this country's legislative races. You look at the um, uh, governor's offices. Yeah, yeah, and you look at um, the Senate, and it's razor thin, and you look at the House, and we're still down, but we're making gains. And I think we can. I think we can. We've done it before. I don't believe in natural cycles of politics. I just don't. I know there's a lot of political scientists out there who like to write books and papers on 10-year cycles, 20-year cycles, 30-year cycles. I, I, I don't buy them. I think they, 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 they fall apart. I do believe in leadership and the candidates and the messaging. I, this is. Let me see if I can get Doug in real quick unless you want to wait, Doug. I have a guest coming up. But if you want to try something real quick, God bless you. Go ahead. Doug? Well, hi, Seth. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I I love the show, as usual. Monologue is always inspirational and fun, and, of course, I always enjoy your guests. Um, In in that last discussion you had uh, with Rick, um, I believe you had mentioned a list of institutions that, uh, in analyzing and saying maybe we did have 70 uh, or, I mean, 80 million people uh, vote for uh, Biden, <clears throat> and you mentioned all the control of the institutions uh, that the left is in. I think it's always good to note 
that the left is in control of these institutions, but it at some point pulls us into a stall, a stagnant stall, until we ask the pertinent question is, why? All right, let me do this, Doug. This is this is a big one, and and I I do uh, want to talk about this. I I really do. Um, can you call me back in about twenty minutes? I, I have a guest, Don Siegel, coming up. He is a professor of public policy and um, at Arizona State. You're going to like. He's been on before. He's got some stuff to talk to us about regarding COVID and shutdowns. Hold for him, and you're welcome to hold too, Doug, if you want, or call back. I do want to address that with you and others. We'll be right back. 